This is episode four of Strange Currencies. Uh, welcome. I am flying solo this evening. Uh, this is the second episode without an interview. I'm certainly hoping to interview a musician in the near future as the podcast rolls along. I've had some life changes going on, which has uh, impacted the uh, level of content I can distribute uh, to whoever is listening. I think somebody's listening. Um, you know, judging by like, what I'm seeing on like iTunes, it seems like somebody's listening uh, to, to this podcast, which I, I find pretty cool. Uh, actually, um, who knows? It might branch out at some point. I'm a huge baseball fan, huge sports fan in general, but I'm especially obsessed with baseball. And maybe at some point in the future, I'll, I'll interview uh, writers that I, that I enjoy or talk about baseball related things. But that's neither here nor there. We're sticking with songwriting right now. And this episode is about Connor Oberst's new album, Ruminations, which I am very impressed by. I, I, I just really am enjoying this album. I think it's terrific, uh, filled with depth. Uh, there's a directness uh, to the album, uh, the, the sparse instrumentation combined with the volatility of the songs. Uh, produces uh, quite, uh, you know, almost a contradictory notion for huge ideas to be explored through sparse instrumentation, which has really been a part of music since the beginning of music. It's, uh, you know, rooted uh, quite strongly in, old, in all music, blues, folk, but I almost forgot, and this album has really reminded me as I make uh, some general points before, I get into the track-by-track track impression of the album, but I was talking about my music teacher today, and I think I forgot, um, because I haven't really been listening to a ton of early Dylan, and when I was first getting into Dylan, I listened to those albums quite a bit, his, his earlier work, the, the purely acoustic work, and I'm not hugely into old blues uh, or a lot of folk so it's easy for someone like me, a oh, rock and roll animal. I, I really <laughs> I really am a rock and roll animal. Uh, thank you, Lou Reed. But it's easy for someone like me uh, to forget how effective that this kind of approach could be on an album, uh, even you know on an individual song. But the first time I listened to this album, I was really almost uh, taken aback by the sparse instrumentation um you know basically um the songs are oberst on piano with a harmonica or oberst on acoustic guitar with a harmonica i think there may be a, an additional guitarist on one or two songs um possibly or that could just be mixing uh he may be played because uh, some of the guitar lines were pretty intricate uh, on a couple on a couple songs, sounds like maybe there's two uh, guitars kind of subtly going. But man, I mean, when you can really dive into something like this, when the artist is talented, uh, excellent writer, and is really painting a vivid picture with the lyrics and the melody, uh, kind of coalescing. I mean the room in the record, so to speak, the room in the soundscape for you to form your own pictures 
and kind of fill in the gaps of what is going on is really an incredible uh, thing uh, to experience. You know, if, if you know, uh, as someone, you know, I, I love music and um, a lot of people love music, obviously, but like the experience of kind of not always being told how to feel um, because I love a lot of rock and roll. I love a lot of big rock and roll. I mean, the Water Boys, who uh, I'm actually going to mention a little something about Mike Scott in, in a couple of minutes uh, briefly while talking about uh, tachycardia. But, like, I love that stuff. Big music, huge production value, or just, like, a lot of effort being put into a, a, a studio-driven vision of a rock and roll sound. I mean, I love, uh, I love that stuff. But at the same time, you know, when you encounter something like this, it's almost like reading excellent fiction, um, where you're reading a literary novel. You know, uh, Jennifer Egan's like basically my favorite writer. I also uh, I love Colin McCann and uh, big Juno Diaz person. I, lo I love, you know, a lot of different types of fiction, but like, you know, there's a lot of skill in letting a reader determine how a sentence, a paragraph, a page, a chapter, a novel is uh, making them feel and not telling them how to feel. In fact, it's harder. Uh, that's the trick. <laughs> it's harder uh, to hold back and uh, just let, you know, like a great painter would uh, let a painting uh, speak for itself, um, you know, a great writer will let an image speak for itself, will let a line of dialogue, a scene, you know, just how in life we're left to interpret our own lives, you know, uh, great fiction, you, you can basically draw your own conclusions from it and kind of not be told um, how to feel about a character because uh, everybody has their own story. Um, and usually uh, people don't think they're villains. Uh, sometimes uh, we think we're heroes, but... Um, it's just kind of capturing a sense of reality, which is quite powerful. Uh, it's, it's like uh, opposite of escapism. Escapism can be great, too. Um, and this isn't to say grandiose studio rock can't really touch upon you know, serious reality-driven issues whatsoever. It's, it's just kind of saying, like, whoa, it's quite, um, it's quite a thing it's quite an experience to be like listening to this album and uh, um, a song like um, uh, Gossamer Thin, which um, I'm really in love with, right? And uh, being able to just form a picture, your own picture, because there's not a moral value being placed on the people that Oberst is describing. He's not assigning a moral role to the characters he's just describing people and whoa i mean that that's just hearing that music i mean bob bob dylan uh just won the nobel prize which i'm really pleased with i know not everybody is and i feel to to get at something poetic in lyrics when you have as a writer now not speaking as a musician but as strictly as a writer uh, melody is a handicap. Rhyme scheme is a handicap. Um, those things are handicaps as a writer when you're writing a song. I mean, sometimes you can't put down exactly what you want to put down because it doesn't fit the rhyme scheme. And, you know, if you don't have the rhyme scheme, the melody falls apart and you want to maintain the melody because it's the original basis for the song and on and on and on. So to be able to um, 
really uh, grind and uh, find some poet poetic uh, beauty in, uh, with such restrictions being placed on you as a creative writer in the moment of uh, writing a song, I mean, I think is, is um, you know, more than, you know, uh, more than enough justification to say, you know, uh, excellent lyrics or literature, um, for sure. They're, they're different, obviously, than fiction. But fiction, I mean, you you know, I was just having an interesting conversation today with my other music teacher, my singing teacher, and uh, we were talking about plays and, and how plays can't just be read as literature. They're meant to be performed, but they can be read as literature. You know, play can be literature. Fiction can be literature. Excellently written nonfiction uh, can have a literary quality to it. So anyway, uh, I, I respect, you know, people's opinions. Um, I do. And um you know, prose writers can, uh, <laughs> they can be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Prickly, I think, because um, it's very intense work. It takes a very, very long time. It takes a, a certain type of individual to really uh, invest in writing prose uh, over decades. So, and I, I get that. I mean, I understand, you know, to hear, you know, uh, songwriter maybe banging out a song in a half hour and a novelist working on a book for 10 years there's obviously a difference but come on let's not forget uh, Einstein and the theory of relativity here maybe it just takes longer to write good fiction <laughs> and doesn't take as long to write a good song does that invalidate songwriting as someone who does both I don't think so anyway that's uh, I feel uh, more than anything else Connor Oberst has done uh, ruminations has uh, such a special uh, literary quality to it, such an observational quality uh, that really uh, both paints uh, incredibly uh, vivid pictures and uh, gets into the psychology of uh, both himself and uh, the characters he's portraying in the songs um, and just the world that we're living in, um, which kind of does feel, I mean, a lot of times uh, he mentions a snow globe um, in the album, and, and I kept seeing um, a, a very, uh, a world in a fishbowl, a world in a snow globe um, uh, that he's describing here. Uh, so, man, as you can see, I really, really like this album. Uh, when I really like an album this much, I don't really uh, go out and seek the reviews for it. I think this is getting like really good reviews, but like if I if I like something this much, I'll I'll, I'll like hold off for a while on um, reading like reviews for it because I just want to really like I know how I feel about it, you know what I mean? So um, I don't like read reviews all the time anyway. Though it can, I mean, it can be interesting um, to see what other people think, obviously. But let's uh, get into a uh, track by track uh, analysis of the album. Let me just take some. Yeah, um, just really inspiring. Um, I'm certainly, I'm seeing uh, Connor Oberst at Carnegie Hall the day before Thanksgiving, and I honestly, if he got up there and just played this album in sequence, uh, I would be totally on board for that. Uh, I remember uh, when Oceana came out, uh, Billy Court, the Smashing Pumpkins, uh, were playing in sequence. I think that's a, it's a really cool thing to do. Uh, to really take ownership of a new album as an artist. I mean, you know, 
not going to do it every time. Uh, like, nah, I don't expect every uh, band to do that every time they have a new album out. But I, I do think there's, like, something really cool about, like, taking that much ownership of, of your new album to be like, yeah, man, like, I'm playing this in sequence, you know? And people out there who, like, walk out of a concert complaining about the, the artist playing only new material, I mean, they really would not like that, <laughs> obviously. But um, I think there's something really, really rock and roll and cool about doing that so yeah you know feel free if, if you're listening <laughs> which i highly doubt um but yeah now track number one uh tachycardia i actually as part of this podcast here i did do some research into the songs uh, not exactly uh archaeologist work you know basically a couple google searches but the titles are really really interesting um so uh, tachycardia refers to an abnormally rapid heart rate in case you did not know that um it's a mass grave that's quite an opening line <laughs> to an album and uh when paired with kind of the lilting uh piano melody which the way the piano sounded and the way the vocal sounded actually reminded me so much of uh, uh, In a Special Place, which were the demos uh, that uh, Mike Scott released for uh, This Is The Sea um, that came out a couple of years ago. And I, I really enjoy listening to that too uh, from time to time, especially Paris in the Rain, which never got released. And I think it's a terrific song. Um, but right, the, uh, the kind of the plunking of the piano, just kind of those piano notes, just kind of going into space. Like I said, like there's so much space, like, and like, it makes so much sense if, if you're like a really talented songwriter, like Connor Oberst is, it makes so much sense to have that space in your sound because your the ideas and the words you're putting across, you want them to land. And and yeah, I think sometimes things can get like a little bit lost in production. Um, not all the time, obviously, but like, yeah, like the way that, that was it really. It's it's those, the, the piano notes, like kinda, you know, just boop, boop, you know, and they, and they go out and like, there's nothing surrounding them um, in the soundscape. There's, there's, you know, they're echoing kind of, and, and his vocals echoing. It's really cool, and it did remind me of that. I mean, it remind you of you know a lot of things, obviously, but that was the immediate you know the immediate thing it reminded me of uh, the minimalistic uh, approach. I, I, I dig it. Um, so I really like this song uh, to open the album. Um, it seems kind of like a slice of life for for uh, the narrator. I will say the narrator a lot. Because I feel like Connor Oberst may be talking about himself. I may be talking about my, uh, myself sometimes when I'm writing a song. Anyone, you know, anyone who's a songwriter. But even when you are talking about really personal things, I feel th there's always uh, a different twist on it. Almost a little bit of a fictionalized twist, even when you're talking about uh, things in your life become larger than life in a way. Um, and maybe not as <laughs> not happening as they actually did, um, just because that's the wonder wonderful world of fiction that I love so much. Um, so I will I, I do like saying the narrator a lot because I don't I don't want to like say like this is what Connor Oberst is thinking right now, you know, with total certainty. Um, 
you know, because it might not be true, <laughs> really, uh, or it might have like a scintilla of truth to it, but not entirely. So um, sometimes, like, we do need to say, like, the narrator or whatever, because you have to keep in mind there's an artistic thing going on. It's not like a journal entry or something like that. So um, my favorite part about this song is the end of the song, um, the mention of the World's Fair and a uh, crowd gathered at the World's Fair, amazed uh, by Electric Light. Track number one on the album, and I almost feel like it sets up this very early uh, 20th century motif that kind of goes on. Uh, I see uh, almost pre, uh, that would be the 30s, I believe, uh, but I also, there's a bygone quality, I feel, uh, happening uh, to, to a lot of the characters and situations in the song. Um, they're being observed from a distance where the author, the narrator, is uh, really able to comment on them from a detached but interested position, I, I think, is the best. And the reason why I think that's a really big deal, and I'll just mention it now because maybe I'll forget to mention it later. Um, I, I've heard, I've read so many times in reviews, you know, Connor Obers is maturing, he's maturing. And when his last album came out and people kept saying that, I was kind of like rolling my eyes a little bit because I'm saying to myself, like, this guy wrote uh, Cape Canaveral in 2008, which is like one of my favorite songs, and it was on his uh, first solo album. And I'm like, you're telling me that wasn't a mature writer? Like, he, he needed to mature since then? So I would kind of, like, almost be like, eh, whatever. They're kind of just, you know, parroting each other because I would just read that again and again and again. He's maturing. But I actually, you know, on this album, with the way he's able to be a step removed um, from looking specifically at a freewheeling, bohemian, artistic lifestyle... That I feel like genuinely is is a, a maturation going on because we we all have um, things in our life that you know at a given time we're extremely involved with them and we can't see them from an ob objective uh, point of view because uh, it's impossible we're we're subject we're being subjected <laughs> to what we're going through uh, that makes it sound like totally negative which isn't true but like the subjective viewpoint of being, especially the human condition of, you know, group interaction or uh, just getting lost in a new setting, a new place. I mean, I know, like, I couldn't be objective about, you know, being in grad school. When I was in grad school, uh, when I was getting uh, my, my degree uh, four years ago, uh, and the entire time, basically, maybe a little bit like towards the end, I could, but like I was in it, I was in there, you know? So like I'm going moment to moment, you know what I mean? And like the things I was writing about at that time were actually from the past, you know? They weren't, I wasn't like writing about like the things I was experiencing at that present time. I was like my present moment. So you might look back and be like, oh, like, you know. I wish I maybe would have handled this situation differently or, or maybe like not, or maybe so, but like, you know, you get caught up. That's what people say. You know, you get caught up in things. And, um, 
to be able to like look back maybe at a situation where you were caught up or very involved, um, I think does take like, you know, real um, personal maturation, not just maturation as a writer. I mean, if you just do that as like a normal person, and I will say people who aren't writers are normal. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't need to make a blanket statement. But yeah, uh, at this point, I think I could say writing is like a pretty wild thing to do with your life. Uh, but, you know, that's part of it um, to be able to even like say something like that. So like, I feel like... Um, especially for someone like Connor Oberst, who, you know, is a successful artist, you know, like he, um, you know, the reason why I think these things happen are, are complicated. Um, but like, we, we all know, like, he's extremely talented um, musician and a, and a great writer. And when that happens, and you know, and like, everybody maybe wants a piece of you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, you can imagine, like, you know, sometimes like, you know, a lot of challenges are posed by 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 best case scenarios unfolding you know and like mo most people don't get a true sense of that they maybe get like a little bit of a sense of it um but like for someone who's like a recording artist and successful and and everything like that's got to be like a really intense experience and i'm not saying like these songs are totally pertaining uh to those experiences that the narrator has had but i i do feel a sense of uh, him stepping back and maybe assessing uh, a, even just a certain kind of person. <laughs> you know what I mean? If not like a group, um, uh, but like a certain individual that maybe he's run into constantly, whether it's a writer, a musician, a painter, you know, whatever, like a certain like disposition, a certain worldview that he's really now able to kind of dig into as a writer because he's encountered it so much, uh, which is like an interesting th thing to think about because um, that's the thing, isn't it, about a setting. You know, a setting produces a certain kind of person, and a lot of times when you're writing fiction, you'll put four different people into the same character because you're just getting at something about those people, not necessarily the per something about that you know what I mean and I feel like that's like a lot of uh, what was going on you know on these songs uh, in addition to other things but I think that was the thing that like interested me uh, the most because it was it was something new that I feel like he was doing uh, as a writer that I, I think is like awesome <laughs> you know what I mean where I feel like there's like a whole like way like to go like uh, going forward for him like artistically like in that direction of like describing uh people um a certain type throughout the songs where maybe he's had like great lines uh in songs right but like to kind of get at a character portrait um, of of a kind of person he's met like throughout a number of songs is something i, I don't think i've heard him do before he did it like really really well uh on this album really really cool so how I felt about um, Tachycardia, uh, the, the final verse I was talking about, about the World's Fair and the crowd being mesmerized by uh, the electric light, I, I, I was, it made me like say like, uh, a lot of this album too, I, I feel like, is about the contradictory nature of our experience, our human experience, uh, to branch out into the universal. Um, 
which you know he does too like he does like the universal concepts like really really well too here uh, it's not like a hardly uh one trick show i mean the guy's doing like a lot with these songs so I felt he was pointing out that maybe, you know, this crowd of people amazed by electric light and we could maybe think of our, ourselves, you know, and those people are at the, the World's Fair, right? The first World's Fair. And we can maybe consider ourselves as still kind of being amazed by the electric light today, you know, and uh, the, the implications of that. And, and I felt, you know, it's kind of like a thesis on helplessness um, and not necessarily uh, helplessness viewed through a negative context, but, you know, life's not as simple as designated things, good or bad, positive or negative. Sometimes experiences happen where someone comes into our life and they're a huge positive or, you know, experience happens that's subjectively negative and that happens, but, like, generally speaking, like, life is more of a, you know, general experience and, like, less specific um, there's a, there, you know, to a lot of people's life, there's like a lot of yin and yang, you know, so wonder is great, but it also maybe leaves us in a vulnerable position, uh, where we don't know things and maybe we don't want to know things because like wonder is so, so nice. Um, and doesn't it take, you know, wonder to, you know, have a dream, you know, to have like an ambition and like, you know, being like <laughs> the Western, citizens that we are i mean is ambition just such a huge part of so many different people's lives and like it does require i think some wonder you know at like the possibilities of like what your life could be if a b and c happens um so like right like we're in this state of we're, we're kind of like still in this you know we're like modern people or like whatever that means and like we're still in this state of like wonder uh, which is has like a beautiful quality to it, but it also uh, the f the flip side of the coin, like maybe like we we maybe should have come uh, further than amazed at the electric light. Um, so like that's kind of yeah, that's like how the ending of that song made me feel, and you know, um, and I think like that song really that that like to me like the song for like like most songs like a good solid like oh you know opener to the album and then it like really gets kicked up a level with with that last verse and it's like oh man so uh moving along to uh barbary coast it's like um i don't have as much to say um uh about barbary coast um i, I like like i like every song on this album so i don't know if i uh need to like keep on like it uh but the one thing I, I can elaborate on in a weird way is that the ringing D uh, that's like in the song uh, between verses, it reminds me so much of another song and I cannot think of that song. <laughs> and like, I feel like it's driving me a little crazy. Um, I think it might be a Bruce Springsteen song, possibly. I was also uh, just going through my iPod and I was actually like listening to Danny California um, and I was like, does it remind me of Danny California? Just the, uh, the chord progression, maybe? Um, and I was like, maybe, but, like, it didn't really seem to make a lot of sense. But, like, that was, like, I know that's probably, like, happened to people where it's, like, you hear something and it reminds you so much of uh, another song and you can't pin, pin. And, like, every time I hear the song, it's like, what the hell? What is that goddamn song it's reminding me of? But, you know, 
other than that, you know, uh, the line, the modern world is a sight to see. It's a stimulant. It's pornography. It takes all my will not to turn it off. Uh, great line. Uh, I really, really like it. It's, you know, it's a, it's a lover's plea, uh, the song. Um, I, I think it also has um, abandonment, uh, you know, exploring, you know, a concept of abandonment, uh, relationships kind of fading away uh, a little bit. Um, and it's about like that one person, you know, maybe sometimes, you know what, a lot of times when it comes to friends, you know, girlfriends, friends, um, what, what have you, like, it can be just like, you get down to like the one person, like that happens, like it's pretty, pretty common thing, I think, um, but like, it's, it's interesting, like, the way that goes down sometimes where like it's you know it's there there may be like a menagerie of people around at a given time but like when push comes to shove things change um the ground shakes whatever you know you realize like this one person is the person i need to carry with me into like the different phases of my life and uh i feel that's uh what this song was about um i you know, when I, I've listened to the album in sequence a few times, and I think the last time I was listening to it, um, I realized it, it kind of is a little bit, at least I feel like it's a bit of a prelude to Gossamer Thin thematically, um, and even perhaps like a lighter treatment of the material because there is that person in, in Barbary Coast to hold on to, or that you're at least trying to hold on to, while in Gossamer Thin, uh, it's basically uh, those threads uh, get worn away or are, are, are obviously about to be worn away and there doesn't really seem to be an answer for either the observer or the people he's observing. So, right, like more, yeah, I think like similar thematically, but like with a lighter touch, I would say, um, a way, uh, uh, something to hold on to uh, that's not there. And you can't hold on to a gossamer thin uh, spider web, can you? Uh, and my, man, oh man, I mean, I really can't say enough about this song. I mean, the first time I listened to this album, uh, I, I thought, you know, Next to Kin was my favorite song. No, like, no, not, never gonna change. This is my favorite song on this album. There's no fucking way <laughs> that, like, I'm gonna like a song, you know, maybe even, like, this year, uh, or the next, couple years who knows um more than next to kin um but some you know like i kept listening to it and like gossamer thin i started like really connecting to it and like now i almost feel like it's a tie <laughs> like i think i like them equally and i love the way they rhyme uh gossamer thin and next to kin i don't know if that was like intentional uh but i do i, I and they're both like similar length and they both you know have so much detail for a three minute song which is something I was rambling about on Twitter. Um, so I, I do see like a little bit of a commonality uh, between those two songs, but like, so again, the titles of the song is very interesting. Uh, a gossamer, I looked up, is a fine filmy substance consisting of, spider, of, of cobwebs uh, spun by small spiders. Uh, so under that in my notes uh, for the podcast, I wrote uh, thin to the point of not existing at all. Um, so I think Gossamer Thin's a classic song. Um, I sense a world in the song. 
I see characters and a setting. I think I see upstate New York or a place like upstate New York. Um, and again, I, I mentioned the snow globe, and I, it's so prevalent when I listen. Just all the imagery. I, you know, I think sometimes um, about music videos. I, I would love to do um, very, very. I mean, for songs that like I really connect with, because I do. Uh, in another lifetime, I wanted to be a film, a screenwriter, and a director. So I, I can think like really visually um, sometimes. And like I, I did, um, you know, when I, the last time maybe I connected with a new song, uh, a new release. Uh, this much was Being Beige by Smashing Pumpkins. I really love that song. So, sorry, I gotta. <clears throat> deleting that shit I'm not ed I'm not taking that out of the editing room <clears throat> that's kind of what I deal with sometimes sorry <laughs> I do I have a throat thing I mentioned on episode one so <laughs> if you want to uh, it's not it's not too serious so don't don't worry about it uh, but anyway um, you know thinking like visually I was talking about, you know, thinking about, like, music video ideas and, like, yeah, like, the last time I had, like, a whole, like, concept for a video uh, was uh, being beige by the Smashing Pumpkins, and maybe I'll uh, get into that uh, another time. Uh, but that was, like, maybe, like I said, it was, like, the last song, like, a new release by an artist that, like, I was connected with that much that I was, like, seeing, like, all this imagery in my head and, like, what the song could be about, how it could be interpreted, stuff like that. So, with Gossamer Thin, man, I mean, I don't know, like, how the hell he did this, but he put, like, a whole freaking story in my head. <laughs> uh, and it's really, I think the key line is, um, you know, the, the line where he's talking about the Bohemians uh, twirling and curtsying uh, in front of this uh anonymous author this anonymous artist that they're all in love with and they're kissing his ass and they're all surrounding him and like they're like moths to his flame so to speak um and it's just like man like i see like this whole thing i see marionettes um doing the twirling and the curtsying and you know just the, the, the image of the twirl the curtsy and then the sitting down. It's like this three-part image, and it's so freaking clear, man. Like, the writing is so great. And, and you know, writing movement sometimes is, like, not easy to do. Um, that's why, you know, uh, sometimes, like, the test of an author is to be able to write a scene. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, to get into philosophical concepts and theoretical stuff, I think, is a lot easier sometimes than, you know, really ironing down a scene the way... The characters moving the way they're talking you know just human things you know the things we have as people to like assess body language and assess how a conversation is going and I think for an author to be able to do that is like so important and the description I'm sorry 
<laughs> I hope you can stand it. Uh, you know, my, my thing going on here. But the description of that, like, three-part almost dance move, you know, the twirl, the curtsy, the sit at the feet of the guy uh, with the tracks down his arm. And, you know, just, I mean, it's, it's so, I mean, it's almost comical. And, and, and that's like, there's a dark comedic aspect to it. I, r- I really, really do believe that. Uh, there, there's a line on Till St. Diphna uh, kicks us out that I think is just like hilarious. Um, that's like just outright very, very funny. Um, I do have like a dark sense of the comic. But like, you know, the idea that this guy has, you know, heroin tracks down his arm and, and bags under his eyes and everyone's like seriously concerned about him. And, and all these sicko fans are still around him, treating him like a god, basically, because uh, they're so deluded about what's valuable. Uh, and, and like, it just brings up all these, I mean, you know, if you're if you're like open minded cat, so to speak, I mean, a song like this just brings up so many interesting ideas about like okay like let's get down to the nitty-gritty here like what is valuable like how valuable is art art is like obviously very valuable but compared to this guy like basically maybe on death's door you know like kind of like living the self-destructive lifestyle i mean compared to that i don't think it is um and i was actually it just really popped into my head i wasn't even planning on saying this but it reminds me um of something oh man i wish i knew the guy's name off the top of my head um but it's the actor who plays saul goodman uh on breaking bad and he's got his own show now and um you know he's talking about chris farley it was a chris farley documentary and he basically said you know like you know art is great but compared to someone's you know killing themselves or whatever with like their partying lifestyle it doesn't mean anything and um you know the idea that like Again, like these sicko fans, and I see like a small town, you know, I, I really do. Like I said, upstate New York, I see like a small town, and um, like I said, marionettes, uh, that would be my music video. Uh, marionettes are gingerbread, you know, gingerbread animation, like that going on, you know, snow globe. You know, our first shot is of the snow globe and the, the paper snowflakes falling, and then we zoom in into the town and see the guy, like. You know, I just see like the whole the whole thing going on, and um, oh God, I love this song. I just you know, I just think it's brilliant. I mean, the melody is great. Um, the different the different usages he he has for the word thin in the song, uh, gossamer thin. Uh, but you know, first it describes the physical characteristics of the Bohemians, um, then later it describes the uh, emotional state, uh, the mental state of. Uh, I believe the, uh, the, uh, <laughs> what should I call him? The artiste of uh, the celebrity artist or whatever. Um, you know, his, uh, emotional state and his lover's emotional state. Um, and I, then I think the last verse, right. He's talking about, he's the observer in the song, the, the, nar- he's the narrator in the song. He's kind of like Riley, uh, looking at all these people, and, and something I also found uh, interesting about the song is like the the narrator is uh, observing these people w- living this crazy lifestyle, and he's also mentioning being like pretty uh, drunk too, <laughs> you know. So like, there's just like a lot of like uh, booze and stuff, other things like going on here, where like the person kind of giving us like our objective perspective of these bohemians is also just kind of and you know the the interesting thing to consider um and something 
speaking of like awesome music videos, uh, Common Knowledge was was a great music video. I really, really love that music video. That was the first song on his last album. And there's a moment in that video where this drunk is is kind of being escorted out of a bar. I think he tries smashing a bottle or he does smash a bottle onto the bouncer's shoulder or, or something to that extent. And there's very sad shot of him kind of walking down the block by himself, kind of trudging down the block by himself. It's great New York City shot, really. Uh, the way the lighting is and, and it's winter and, you know, it's just, you know, very, very, very well done. And, um, you know, and then Connor Oberst, who's in the video, um, he's going in the bar with his friends and they're all laughing and having a good time. And then the, the, the shot shows them sitting down. Um, you know, to get like a little personal, maybe, I don't know if this is like super personal, but I think, you know, if you've maybe gone through a crazy period in your life uh, where maybe you're living uh, pretty hard for a long time and like you're so in it in the moment, as I said, you know, the uh, subjectivity that's going on, not the objectivity. But um, it's so stark when you like kind of like look back on it um, and, and I feel like someone like me, like I, and this isn't because, Ooh, like I'm a smart guy. I think it's, you know, hey, <laughs> I wouldn't mind someone saying that to me, but like, I'm really not trying to say that right now. It's very important that like, I don't say that right now. Cause I'm trying to say like, I'm someone who like maybe did like live hard for, for a time period. And like looking at that sequence in the music video, um, the implication of the guy walking by himself and then the group of friends happily going in after him. Like, what's the implication of that? You know what I mean? Cause like, it's all circumstantial, right? Like the, the, the happiness of the group, right. Is like, they have each other's friendship and like, that doesn't last forever. That's what I'm saying. And like, you take away the friends and like, what are you left with? You're left with someone alone in a bar, right? So I feel like there is like a parallel kind of being drawn in that like powerful image uh, in the video. And I, I definitely was like very, very moved by that. And um, to get, a goss get back to Gossamer Thin, I think if you consider perhaps that the narrator is someone who's maybe been through what the artiste is living right now with like all these people around him, uh, you know, and then they're gone and then you're left maybe observing the next great bohemian hope coming through town. Uh, something to consider. One moment, please. <clears throat> so, you know, as you can see, I really, really, or as you can hear, I really love that song. And, you know, to picture, uh, you know, again, think about gossamer, thin uh, cobweb, spider web, whatever. You know, think about the implications of, like, a web. A web. You know, relationships can, between people can be like a web. Um, so, like, oh, man, just really, really good. Oh, love that. I could have done a whole episode on that song. I love that goddamn song. Really, really great. Hope he plays that <laughs> at Carnegie Hall, definitely. Um, so, Counting Sheep. Um, this is, you know, even <laughs> now I'm going to say this is a dark song. Um, so like, I feel like that's like a lot for me <laughs> to say it's a song's dark because, you know, like I, I like darkness. 
oh yeah <laughs> but like man like this was a stark uh brutal uh song um you know uh again there's a, a woman uh or uh or just a person um in the song that he's appealing to um and i think it wasn't i basically was like kind of lost in the brutality of the song uh, the first few times i was listening to it um and then i kind of heard again uh a th a th the thematic you know content kind of emerging you know uh which is like it's about i feel like it's about like appearances you know where he ends up saying um i don't want to like look this way to you i don't want to like look to this or i don't want to look to that and kind of in the face of like what he's describing in the verses it's like come on man like <laughs> it doesn't matter like it, it doesn't like you're worrying about like how you appear to this particular person like you're describing like all these like heavy dark things so it there seems to be like an imbalance there but like boom like that's life isn't it like that's what we live with uh, on a daily basis you know like i know like right now i'm making uh kind of a hairy commute to uh to where i'm going to school at, at the moment and it's fine i mean i'm doing all right with it but like you know it's a it's a little bit of a hairy commute and like you think about like the risks of that possibly and like what am i worried about on the drive i'm like worried about how like a class presentation is gonna go or i'm like worried about like maybe like impressing somebody or not coming off a certain way and like it's just i think again like even though it's such a dark song like there's like humor in, in that i feel like it's not like obviously humorous but like if you think about it there's like a humorous quality to like how absorbed we are and how we look to other people um and how we appear to other people and i even feel like you know the beginning of a, of a relationship in, in some ways like is like so like based in an appearance both external and and also like what we're trying to portray to the person we're we're recording you know where it's like uh, i don't want to give the appearance of this i don't want to give the, i want to give like this appearance of myself this appearance because they're going to meet the real me <laughs> you know at some point like in the, this it, it happens and it can be like very very intense uh when that does happen obviously when it's like oh yeah like this is who i really am so uh this is what you're dealing with right now but anyways like you know i think like everybody goes through that and really i think that's just like human behavior but again there's like a humorous like quality there's an abstract quality to that and that was like what was coming through to me like on repeated uh listens to the song i keep pronouncing this mama borthwick i think it's mama uh in the song um you know i think it's a cool i always enjoy you know the idea of uh putting two so diametrically opposed tracks next to each other on an album because you know you kind of have like a bleak song uh preceding this I, I would venture to say it's it's a little bleak it's a little at least kind of absorbed into you know the uh anxiety that's going on you know in in the narrator's mind um and then you have this song which again um is an excellent song um i think you know he did something 
super interesting uh, here. Um, and I'm trying, like, <laughs> the reason why I'm hesitating is because, like, I wrote, like, a bunch of notes for it, and I don't want it to sound like I'm just, like, reading. <laughs> I'm trying to, like, condense, like, what I said from the notes. But, like, there's a, you know, sacred to the end, till the end, I should say, is um, the, the repeated, like, mantra of the song, the notion of the song, building something that's sacred to the end, and, like, what is sacred to the end what isn't sacred to the end like what what does that mean it also has like a beautiful melody it has a great instrumentation going on um between the guitar and the piano so i would like to talk about hold on a second <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm gacking it. I'm so in, I'm like, I'm like deep into this now. So like, I can't gack it right now. I gotta like pull myself together here. Yeah. I, I just want to talk about this for a second. Cause I think this is kind of, this is more like a songwriting thing. Um, you know, a general songwriting point, but I believe the, the final parting line of the song, uh, is I'm not content but I'm feeling hesitant, but I'm feeling hesitant to build something that's sacred till the end. You know, looking at like what the song is saying, you know, it takes, again, to bring back vulnerability, uh, which was tachycardia, which I, I feel like was, was talking about wonder and vulnerability a little bit to me anyway. Um, that line... You know, I'm not content, but, and like, how much does that line change? Let's again, talk about the craft of songwriting, uh, writing with a capital W, <laughs> and it is writing. Um, how much does that line change? How much does the meaning of that line change? If it's, I'm not content, and I'm feeling hesitant, um, you know, to build something that's sacred to the end. Because then you're saying, I'm not content, um, and I'm hesitant. So the reason that you're hesitant has to do with uh, your lack of contentment, right? But by saying I'm not content, but I think he's driving at, you know, he's basically, the, the way like I picture this line, and I could be like totally dead off on this, but like he's working on these new songs, right? And he's like writing some new songs and like, you know, maybe he's not content by maybe like what he's been writing uh maybe over the you know who knows we can't get in, in the guy's head but like there's something that he's not content about like what he's doing right so the but tells me you know by saying i'm not content but it's like i want to do more right but i'm feeling hesitant to build something that's it so like what does that mean right it's like saying like maybe he's a little dissatisfied by like what he's producing, but he's still, despite his dissatisfaction, he's kind of willing to just go forward with what he's doing because he's feeling hesitant to build something that's sacred to the end. Like, why is that? Like, if he's fe not feeling content, but he also like kind of doesn't want to fix it. And I think it does like have to do with like vulnerability because earlier in the song there's a line a hidden dream can be embarrassing and the only thing that's sacred till the end right so it's like saying like it's the vulnerable parts of ourselves as writers that are 
you know, by tapping into that, we're going to write our best material. Um, but it's hard to do that because it's putting something of ourselves out there that's like, you know, you know, like very closely guarded. So I think he's getting at the authorial dilemma of like wanting, like, I want to, you know, this is like Connor Oberst or whatever. He wants to like write like a fucking damn good album right here. You know, he's like, I'm going to write a damn good album just like you. If you're a writer, you know, if you're working on a short story, I'm going to write a fucking good short story or, or anybody, you know, even down to, you know, um, a baseball player, you know, saying like, I want to have a damn good season. But like sometimes to take a step toward improvement, like we have to like have like moments of discomfort you know growth can be painful like that kind of thing so like i just felt like that was like really interesting you know that one word but you know because that's that's like revealing an inability to to access something that that he wants to access right and if it was and it would be like i'm not content because you know and but because it's but it's like getting at this like whole other thing that's like interesting like to consider artistically and um you know, the thing I wrote is like, you know, I'll just read directly what I wrote because I'm like, you know, struggling with it, with like not like just reading what I wrote. So like, you know, I said the butt says he wants to do more, maybe write the perfect emotionally connective song, but he's having trouble getting to that place. And by writing about being in that place on this song, he may have written the exact song he did not think he could. Does that make sense to you? Because I feel like, this is the kind of song that's like maybe sacred to the end. I'm saying like he has gotten to that place by writing about his discomfort with going to that place. I hope that makes sense in a way. But anyway, like the difference between that one word, um, you know, one word changing a line, it really reminded me of something Bob Dylan wrote in Chronicles. And I just want to read that to you before, before we go on to the next song. Because it, it really did like remind I was like, oh, this is just like in Chronicles when he was working on um, Ring Them Bells and he was having trouble with the, with, right and like it totally reminded me of that so i'm just gonna read it to you right here this is bob dylan <laughs> i love saying it like that so uh later that night we began cutting ring them bells there was one line in the song that i was trying to fix but never did the last line breaking down the distance between right and wrong the line fit but it didn't verify what i felt right or wrong like it fits in the wanda jackson song or right from wrong like the Billy Tate song, that makes sense, but not right and wrong. The concept didn't exist in my subconscious mind. I'd always been confused about that kind of stuff. Didn't see any moral ideal played out there. The concept of being morally right and more or morally wrong seemed to be wired to the wrong frequency. Things that aren't in the script happen every day. If someone steals leather and then makes shoes for the poor, it might be a moral act, but it's not legally right, so it's wrong. That stuff troubled me, the legal and moral aspect of things. So, and then just to go on, there are good deeds and bad deeds. A good person can do a bad thing, and a bad person can do a good thing. That's like Dostoevsky territory, right? But I never did get to fix the line. On this take, it's outright natural sound with little experiments. Yeah, so then we're going into, oh my God. That just reminds me how much I love Chronicles. Sometimes when I maybe feel like a little challenged, uh, <laughs> Like, from a writing standpoint, I, I, I read Chronicles just because it inspires me so much. Um, but anyway, like, right, just uh, one one word, man. I, I've had that experience, you know, where, like, he changed that, like, one word. It's like, oh, man, 
just like turns it into like something else completely. Um, so yeah. I have um, just like kind of one thing to say about the rain follows the plow as I move in my chair. I'm sorry if that's like unprofessional. I can't like sit still. <laughs> so I have to move a little bit. But because I've like talked so much about like the lyrical content, I, I just wanted to talk a little bit um, on this song. And it's like, you know, a good song. And I could, you know, delve into the lyrics too. But like, I feel like I got to know uh, Connor Overs more as a musician on this album, which which I think was like interesting, um, because like you know I think he basically like did it entirely by himself, and like this is such a true statement, um, but like someone's personality gets transplanted onto how they play an instrument, like you know Dylan in in that excerpt was just talking about you know the complications of morality and how it can be such a difficult thing to ascertain. Like this, that's not like a moral statement. Like their moral character isn't going to be like implanted on how they play. But I, I think their sensibility, um, their basic like sensibility and how maybe they see the world possibly, um, is something that you'll, you'll see, um, put on, uh, their music, musicality or whatever. Um, so like, that that and I and I feel like I I did like it. oh like I saw like more of his like musical sensibility, for sure like on here, uh, on ruminations and m the uh, most significant example of that that I saw was on the song the the rain follows the plow, just um the way he played the piano, um in a certain moment of the song uh, between verses, uh, he kind of shifted. I think the key, I know nothing about piano playing. I mean, I don't know anything about it. So I'm sorry if that's incorrect. But like, I, I think he did shift the key um, um, on like what he was doing, possibly. I could be wrong about that. But he just plays the piano differently. And, you know, I, I wrote down like, um, you know, that moment where he starts playing the notes differently on the song, it sounds like the present undulating in front of your face during a snowstorm and getting replaced by memory. So... And I feel, again, that is the production of this album uh, really, like, working, like, so much uh, that, we, that we had this moment where, like, it's like, oh, you know, like, I got, like, some of his sensibility. And I'm, I'm kind of, um, I don't consider myself an expert musician by any means, but, like, even in my kind of, you know, uh, brutish, uh, <laughs> mode of playing. Um, I think there are times where like, I really get across something of myself, um, in my guitar playing. And, and that's even for me. And I'm not like, you know, great. And I don't play piano or anything. So, you know, it was, it was nice. It was nice to kind of get like a sense of his, like, you know, maybe how he would like score, you know, a soundtrack or something like, or, or I don't know. It was just like, I feel like I got to know him a little bit more like on a musician tip in that, in that particular moment of that song. So a little uncanny, um, 
your enemies providing inspiration, your public image and the reaction to your work becoming something you feel estranged from, so far from your intention and beyond your control, terrible things in the world provoking you to form your own opinions, praise being shallow, a little uncanny, life is inexplicable, too complicated to turn into narrative, though that's what we're addicted to and that's what we have to do. And uh, I think like, you know, when when art is really at its best, in, in my opinion, it should make you like a little bit uncomfortable. And I think the the line he had about Ronald Reagan and saying like Ronald Reagan got me to read those Russian authors through and through. Like, come on, man! Like that line should like provoke people to think and consider. And like, I I think it's just kind of like a strange uh, celebration of kind of like how broken the world is. And, and not like, and I don't mean like a celebration, like, you know, a bacchanal or, or some kind of like parade. I just mean like a celebration of survival uh, and an acknowledgement of our contradictions where you can honestly say like the things that you're against in, maybe inspired you to be what you're for. And sometimes the people that are for you don't even know you. So like, what does that mean? <laughs> and like, I, and again, like as I was mentioning, like at the top of the podcast about like contradictions, right? How little sense we can make of the world at times. Like, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean that like this thing that you stand against and that you revile with all your being because you think like it violates people and it violates rights? And yet that thing like maybe, that thing like existing, like pushed you to, for your life to go in the direction that it went in like a few vital ways. And like sure, it would be a better world if like that, that thing didn't exist, right? But like without that thing, do you exist as you are? Right, and like so that's like kind of like important to like the formation of yourself as as a person, right? And then like I feel like the song also gets gets into again like the the shallowness of appearance at times. Um, you know the the line about see like what I think people and like the first time I heard the song when you when you hear the Jane Fonda line, it it, it kind of hits you as being like the stark, you know, very decisive. Uh, uh, detail in a song, you know, image in a song, I should say. But like, if you listen, it says, like Jane Fonda. So he's not actually like talking about her. He was more talking about, I think, the perception of either himself or a perception he saw. So like, while he might feel like genuinely feel that way about like whatever, like, you know, you know, right, like, celebrities protesting war and becoming a symbol for a pain they never knew, like, he's also, like, saying that maybe about, like, being, you know, perhaps in a position he found himself in or a position he saw other people in, right? So, like, it, it's, and, and right, like, a little uncanny. You think about, like, what the word uncanny means, right? And, like, I feel like the song maybe should leave you, like, saying, like, hmm, and like that's life. <laughs> like it's like the underrated thing about life. Like life is right there. So often, it's like you want to get like full of rage and anger uh, about stuff, but it's a little uncanny 
the way things kind of connect in a way where I'm, of course, like, I'm not saying like the things you're opposed to, you should like, you know, like appreciate them or like feel like warm about them. I mean, you know, Hey, if you're, if you're an expert Buddhist, and even if you're a Buddhist, like that's not what Buddhism's about either. Buddhism's not about like not having an opinion and not being intelligent. It's really more about trying to maintain a peaceful state of mind, but I digress. I'm just saying like, life can be such an odd thing to try to figure out and I think what like the times maybe when we're most down about life is when we think we have it figured out and we think we have our narrative figured out and we think we know who we are and and, and that's like when we can get down but the real truth is it's a little uncanny um how you end up where you end up sometimes uh and I think we we can forget that especially like in our culture uh which like values kind of like an end result uh, more than process, obviously, uh, and glorifies and results and everything. So, on to next akin. Excuse me one moment. I would um, use um, the songs. Actually, this is like so unprofessional or whatever. Or professional. Uh, I know, like, I would love to, but I just, I, I don't have permission. So, you know. I mean, that would be awesome, but, like, I don't have permission, and um, this is going to go on iTunes, so, you know, I respect that, so, like, I don't have permission, so if I if I had permission or whatever, maybe, you know, hey, listen to the podcast and subscribe, and if it gets really popular, I might get permission to, like, use, um, you know, stuff like that, but anyway, next of kin, um, yeah, like, this is a song I fell in love with, uh, you know that for that initial listen to the album like you you fall in love with one song like, i really fell in love with the song um i love you know to talk about the, i think in this song more than any other on the album like he shifts perspective uh which is i think something he does uh as a writer uh like shifting perspectives a lot in, in one song um this song is like he starts you know with himself observing an accident then he takes a character i think of a police officer notifying next of kin um then steps into omniscience i i felt and then back into his own perception um and yet although it makes sense um and i feel like i wasn't like questioning it at all I'm like yeah 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 um i believe it you know like i believe it in a way and who knows like the moments of clarity that we have in life. While no one has omniscience, I think we can have an insight. Yeah. We can have like a really true insight based on our experience um, where we kind of move outside ourselves um, and are able to like define something. Yeah, sure. I think that's possible. So, you know, interesting thing about the beginning, the observing the accident on the interstate actually reminded me of uh, Jim Morrison, but uh, more precisely, it reminded me of the, the beginning of the, the Doors, uh, the, the Oliver Stone uh, movie where, where Val Kilmer, like, was amazing in that movie, uh, playing Jim Morrison, but right, like, you know, he sees this accident, and he's convinced that, like, a native soul came in, I mean, that's, like, wild, obviously, but, like, you know, the description of, like, you know, observing, a, seeing an accident, uh, maybe as a child, because um, it's such, so formative, it's such a, you know, jarring thing to see while your perceptions about the world are being formed, um, 
that reminded me of the beginning of that movie. Um, I love the rhyme scheme and the melody. I love the way this, like so much, like the rest of the album really can be so profound while also being so cool and so conversational, so in control um, uh, of the emotionality going on. Um, so, you know, I met Lou Reed and Patti Smith. It didn't make me feel different. I guess I lost all my innocence way too long ago. Um, I was gone. I was free to leave, walking fast down the Bowery. Tears in my eye, and I couldn't see, but I made my way back home. I don't really know if there's, like, much else to be said about lines like that. Um, something I wrote was, uh, life is hard. Nobody has the free ride. Those what we want to believe other people have. We're all someone's next to kin. Um... That last line, I, I, I actually, you know, wrote in my notes, um, you know, the relationship being over. Um, I found it really beautiful, but I also found it a little difficult connecting it with the rest of the song. Um, you know, I, I just, yeah, like, it's beautiful. But, like, I, I, I kind of have, like, like I'm, I'm trying to like say like, hmm, like how does that, like it, it, it all kind of, yeah, like, but like you know, the idea of calling of the bluff, um, th there seems to be like an indecisiveness going on, um, and I guess like you could say you know, at the beginning of the song mentions the database that the victim's gonna be in. Um, and that all, our information is in, you know, our social security or, you know, the driver's license, the idea of being in a database and the, the, the you know, the, the vacancy of that, you know, is, is quite powerful to consider. Um, and love, the idea of love and falling in love with someone being kind of the counterbalance to it. I, I think that might be the through line possibly. And, then those things that we need to kind of stave off that vacancy uh, where we're kind of dehumanized and put in a database just so the world can work in a way. Um, that thing that's a counterbalance becomes like kind of a weight. And um, I found so, I mean, Connor Oberst, man, this is what like Connor Oberst does. And I, and I know like, you know, I don't, pretend to be an expert um I know there's like a lot of great music I haven't heard but for me you know it's like who else like is willing to like write something to the effect of like I was indecisive I, I thought I wanted to be out of a relationship but I was really making a bluff and like maybe trying to like get enough freedom to, to like have room so like the relationship wouldn't feel so so real, but also maybe hold on to her, and um and to write like, you know, someone calling that and and just ending it completely. I mean, man, like who who else writes that? <laughs> like, I'm just like, man, like that's like a lot to write, and it's a real complex emotional situation that he distills in like a few lines. I mean, talk about lines, like you write a whole song about that. And, like, there's a couple lines in the song, and, like, it's so clear. Um, so, you know, 
yeah as i mentioned like with gossamer thin i, I really love mexican i, I love uh, mexican too just musically it kind of has like um the flow man like right like you know how like some songs just like they meet like some songs snap into place with the chorus like bam like the puzzle pieces are in place with the chorus uh, coming in or some songs like really snap into place with the second verse you know oh oh man like the second verse. then some songs just like they like flow and they're like so there like there's such finished music products like right second one of the song like i feel like next to kin's like that it has that like amazing like flow to it and i i to, to, to try to maybe give an example what the hell i'm talking about um you know, you're going to make me lonesome when you go, the the Bob Dylan song like that, I feel like is a song that has that like kind of like magical, like flow quality where it's just like, it's so, it's just working. <laughs> it's just like works like right from the first note is it, it's like, it's just like unfolds you know, like so well. And uh, next to Kin, that's another reason why I liked it so much. Um, yeah. So you all loved him once. Um, what I wrote about this is um, I actually saw him do the song at McCarran Park um, over the summer. It was a beautiful night. Uh, the Felice brothers were there, too. And uh, I heard the mating of the doves, which is just like that was the first time I ever heard that song. You, you know, like it's always great to like hear a great song. And the first time you hear it's live, um, that's always like kind of cool. And um it was just a great day, and, and he and he broke this one out. He did um, he did this, and he did a little uncanny, uh, and I th did this other song. I think that that napalm was in the title, and maybe it didn't make this album. Or I could be wrong about that. I could be like confusing it with another song. But anyway, like that was a pretty dope show. I really had a great time at that, and. Uh, what I remember about You Loved Him Once, the live version of it, was it was meaner. It had more of a mean streak to it. It had more of like a over-disgust to it. And I really missed that on, on this album version. And like when I when I hear this album version, I kind of like think about, um, oh, like I really liked how he did it. Like that, that time it was live. He was like really like um, just like, like, fucking disgusted with like who, <laughs> who he was talking about and there was more like uh uh venom uh vindictiveness going on and um this one there's a, a little bit more of a delicate quality to it and um i i i felt like at mccarran park like there was no doubt in my mind he was talking about like it was personal like yeah like it was really personal um what he was singing about even though like yes it was like cloaked in metaphor possibly even um jesus um i think um and i think that quality of the song is more present so if you're someone who um kind of would get more into uh the biblical connotation of the song um yeah you probably dig the album version a little more if you're someone who like me who who really really enjoyed like just like man the way he was playing yeah i think it was one guitar you know like i think he did it solo and like just the way he was playing and singing like it was just like um you know yeah it struck me a little bit more um so uh very good song uh did like the live version probably a little bit more um 
that we have come to the end. I think, you know what's sad? I think me talking about the album is definitely longer than the album. Word. That's kind of whack in its own way. It's not super whack, but it kind of is whack, like, in its own way. Because it's like this dude, like, made this, like, great album, and, like, me talking about, like, how great I think it is, like, I go on longer than the album. So, but anyway, no no regrets, man. Um, Till Saint Divna uh, kicks us out. I, I got that right, right? Why am I, like, tweaking right now? Hold on a second. Yeah. I get weird sometimes. I have OCD. <laughs> Sorry about that. As you hear me clicking again, super professional. <laughs> so um, I'm gonna read you a little something uh, again, cause like again, like these songs had such like interesting titles, um, and uh, I, I I read up uh, on Saint Diphna. And I want to share that with you, uh, cause I think it really does provide a context for the song. Uh, this is from Catholic.com. Uh, Dimfna was born in Ireland sometime in the 7th century to a pagan father and a devout Christian mother. Oh, interesting conflict there. Yeah, really. When she was 14, she consecrated herself to Christ and took a vow of chastity. Soon afterward, her mother died and her father, who had loved his wife deeply, began to suffer a rapid deterioration of his mental stability. So unhinged was Dimfna's father, Damon, that the king's counselor suggested he remarry. Though he was still grieving for his wife, he agreed to remarry if a woman as beautiful as she could be found. Damon sent messengers throughout his town and other lands to find a, a, a woman of noble birth who resembled his wife and would be willing to marry him. But when none could be found, his evil advisors whispered sinful suggestions to marry his own daughter. So twisted were Damon's thoughts that he recognized only his wife when he looked upon Dimphna, and so he consented to the arrangement. When she heard of her father's misguided plot, Dimphna fled her castle with her confessor, a priest named Gerebrand, I'm sorry, two trusted servants and the king's fool. The group sailed toward what is now called Belgium and hid in the town of Giel. Though it becomes uncertain what exactly happened next, the best-known version claims the group settled in Giel, where Dimna built a hospital for the poor and sick, but in using her wealth, her father was able to discover her, her location. When Damon found his daughter was in Belgium, he traveled to Giel and captured them. He ordered the priest's head to be separated from his body and attempted to convince Dimna to return to Ireland and marry him. When Dimna refused, Damon became enraged and drew his sword. He shrunk Dimna's head from her shoulders and left her there. When she died, Dimna was only 15 years old. After her father left Giel, the residents collected both Dimna and Garaban's remains and laid them to rest in a cave. So... Interesting, right? Um, so I think the key thing of, about that um, excerpt, again, uh, and thank you, Catholic.com, um, is about the hospital, um, right? Kind of the saintly uh, girl uh, who has such a pure heart and the idea of a bar kind of being a hospital uh, for the brokenhearted, the sardonic, you know, the, the wayward rebels who really do need a cause and would like a cause um and uh till she kicks us out of here because you know she's willing to care for us in her bar for a little bit of time but you know even a saint can't deal with our bullshit all night 
<laughs> so 4.30 a.m. rolls around. She's like, guys, yeah, and of course, you're not going to say no to her. I mean, she's not going to have to wield the baseball bat. She's a saint, and she's got angel wings and, you know, you know, fairy dust, and Irish magic going on. So, you know, you're just going to say okay and, and leave. And uh, that's kind of the imagery I get there. So I mentioned uh, way earlier that this song had, does have like an outright hilarious line to me. And uh, it's the beginning of the song. Be careful with your headphones on while you cross the FDR. Don't want to be a casualty before you make it to the bar. Now, I love that. I always laugh when I hear that. I think it's a really funny line. Um, so other than like really, really liking the song and finding that in interesting like antidote or not antidote, I really shouldn't say that. It's it's a bio, it was like a brief biography about a saint. Um, this to me is such a rock song. And like even like I, I, I felt like he was doing a little something different with his voice here. And I almost, um, and I liked it. Um, it, it reminded me of uh, alternative uh, rock a little bit. Um, I could see a full band playing this song in the bar that's in the song. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about that song. And, yeah, it's got a great chorus. builds really nice. Um, and I enjoy it. It's really a, it's a fun way for the album to end without, like, it's not, like, zany. Like, it doesn't, like, betray the thematic content of the album, but I, I feel it does end it on a note of, hey, you know, let's keep going, you know. Um, um, I mean, this is really confusing. Like, life is, like, really, really confusing. Um, but, like, let's just keep going until St. Diffinit kicks us out tonight, and I'll see you tomorrow night. And uh, be careful with your headphones on while you cross the FDR because you don't want to end up in one of those databases that's the next to kin, um, right? So, and yeah, there's a mention of blinking lights uh, here on the final song, which did take me back to tachycardia and the electric light on the first song. Um, yell and tell me to go to hell. You see the interesting thing he does with the phrasing right there? You see that? Um, where he did that... Um, where did he do it? Oh, man, I'm sorry. I'm, like, losing it. Oh, man. <laughs> I had, like, such a good point here. But, like, that, like, yell and tell me to go to hell. Um, that kind of, like, abbreviated stop-start rhyme scheme. Um, or it doesn't stop. I shouldn't say, <laughs> shouldn't say that. I mean, yell, tell me, hell, um, it all kind of like comes together. And then at least you sound sincere, it rhymes with something in the next verse. Guy knows what he's doing. That's all I'm trying to say. <laughs> so, um, yeah, man, um, I'm really glad uh, I, I got to record another episode here. It really was overdue. It's I can't believe it's been since July. Uh, it's kind of crazy, but like I, I had some stuff come up. I started something. I started something new. Um, I, I finished something. A little older, but still new to me. Um, so it's been a little difficult uh, to um, maybe do this because this is cool. Um, and I would like to, like I said, get an interview going again. And um, yeah, so as you can see, as you can hear, I really, really uh, recommend uh, Ruminations. Um, terrific. Um, 
just, you know, you, you read a lot about it's dark, you know, or it's sad. And it's such a... I mean, it's fine to feel that way, but, like, it's not just that anyway. Like, like I said, there's, like, a sense of humor um, to it. There's a lot of hope to it, I feel like. Um, and it, and being human is hard, and there's nothing wrong with, with writing about the hard things about being a human. Um, and the good thing is about being a human, too, but, like, you know... I think there's like something to be said to how also focused he was on just getting at the strange quality of life um, that's kind of surreal. Um, and it becomes just such a part of your day to day that you, you, you kind of can't even really see it anymore. And uh, maybe remembering that sometimes um, provides uh, hope too, because um, there. There's no narrative you should stuff yourself into besides trying to be happy. You know, and uh, I know I'm not that good at that. <laughs> you know, but like the mystery of this thing is is immense. And um, there's room uh, for a happy individual and there's room for searching. And it's okay even when people... You, you, whether you're down and out in the sewer or everyone's patting you on the back and uh, following you around like uh, the, the guy in Gossamer Thin, um, it's okay to embrace the fact there's not an answer um, that defines you and your life. And I think I'll finish on that. Uh, thank you so much for uh, listening to Strange Currencies. Certainly check out Ruminations, uh, the new album by Connor Oberst. And um, there's just a lot of really awesome music coming out. I see um, Father John Misty put a new song on his SoundCloud. I know he's working on an album. Uh, Leonard, uh, I, I, gotta, I, I have it. I haven't listened to it yet because I need to be in the proper frame of mind. <laughs> I might even light an incense candle. <laughs> Or something like that uh, before I listen to that. I really need to be there. I need to be where I need to be. Um, so I'm really looking forward to listening to it, though. And um, exciting things happening, like Bob Dylan uh, winning the Nobel. And, um, you know, the case, I know it's a little, it, it came out this summer, I think, the Case Lang Viewers album. Uh, I, just, I just listened to that. It was awesome. Really, really good. I love uh, Laura Revere's songs on it. Uh, Song for Judy's great. Um, a couple other songs too. Uh, the the whole album is really really good. But that's a, that's another really excellent album. So you know, um, really good music out. Um, yeah. So uh, you take it easy. You uh, have a have a great uh, day wherever you are. And uh, peace, love, music. Um, you know try <laughs> you know what I mean what's so funny about whatever whatever he said after that um so yeah uh take it easy all right uh strange currencies this was a uh, episode four unless my math is off and uh come back next time uh take care <laughs>